Finance and Leadership, FTI's Financial Services Podcast. FTI is a global advisory firm. We help organizations manage change, mitigate risk, and resolve disputes. I'm your host, Tilsia Toledo. I have over 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. This show is about the people I've met along the way and leading during uncertain times. You will hear from finance executives, law firm partners, dedicated government professionals, and many others. Please enjoy. Today's guest is Kim Allman, Senior Director of Community Impact and Investment at Capital One. Full bios of our guests are available at our website, financeandleadership.com. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Kim, you worked at a nonprofit prior to joining Capital One. You also have a law degree. How did that prepare you for your current role? Yeah, so start off with a law degree. And the interesting thing about law school is that it really doesn't prepare you for the day-to-day practice of law. You do a lot of reading, you know, the way that they conduct law school. But I think the great thing about that is it, it prepares you to think like a lawyer. And I think those skills are useful in so many different places. So all the reading that you do, learning to digest these large amounts of material, but to analyze that information and to break it down, to draw conclusions, the ability to assess risk, to read through things and really think about it in a really critical way. And so the work that I do at Capital One, a lot of it's understanding the needs of the communities that we work with and the communities that we serve. A lot of it's around building programs and building tools to help those individuals. And so really what you learn in law school, thinking critically, it's really valuable in saying, okay, there's so much information out here about how we could help individuals and really thinking through how do we want to help them build their financial well-being. And so I think all of that that you learn in law school really helps you be thoughtful about that. But I certainly see ways that I I utilize those skills in the day-to-day work that I do in designing tools, products, financial education, and really thinking through how can we be most impactful in terms of how we help people. The work that I did at the nonprofit, and it was a small nonprofit, I think it was valuable in a couple of ways. One was the nonprofit that was helping people, first of all, become first-time homeowners, but also helping people retain homeownership. A lot of the work that I did there was around foreclosure prevention. And so really getting to understand community partners, communities that we worked in, very useful in thinking through creating new programs and, and really how do we help people the best that we can. So that's one way that working in the nonprofit industry has helped me in the work that I'm doing because it's not just about building tools and resources for the end user or the individuals that they're helping, but it's really how do we help our nonprofit partners do their jobs better? How do we support them, not just through funding, but through understanding their needs and providing those resources to them? But I would say the other way that working at a small nonprofit has been helpful is that, you know, you end up wearing so many hats. You can't turn to the communications department or the legal department. Like so much of what you do, you kind of take it on yourself. And that was valuable in just understanding for myself, what am I good at? What am I not so good at? What do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? And so getting a a wide breadth of experience in different places and being able to apply that, you know, luckily now at Capital One, I do have access to to many more people who can provide support. And it's not just me trying to learn all these things as I go, but, you know, better understanding of all these different pieces and how they work together has been incredibly valuable to me. So you've been well tested. I think that's a great way to put it. I like that. Yes. (laughs) 
And I mean, in terms of the work that you do, financial literacy has always been important. But right now, especially given the state of the economy, it's crucial. And you talked about also having the experience of helping people make sure that they not just attain the home, but they stay in the home that they have. So tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Capital One. And also what I'm really curious about is, did your priorities shift as a result of the pandemic? I would say shift, but I think we almost doubled down on the work that we were already doing. We have a focus on supporting simple, straightforward tools to help support people's financial well-being. I think what we learned with the pandemic was, you know, there may be now more people who need more help. And so we were already doing work to support small businesses. We were already doing work to support housing. We're already doing work to help people build savings or improve their credit. With the pandemic, I think a lot more people needed a lot more help. And so it made our work even more important, but also important for us to keep our ears to the ground. And so were there new issues that are popping up? Were there new things that, that we had to really think about? I would say one new program that was launched was called Small Unites which is a national movement committed to supporting small businesses by giving them access to funds, but also resources they need to move forward. So it actually connects folks to small businesses where they can patronize their small businesses, you know, helping get the word out that these are organizations that are doing great work, patronize them, buy their products, but also partnering with nonprofit organizations that people can donate to to support those groups. We have supported small businesses and organizations that have supported them for a long time. But I think looking to see what is it specifically that organizations need now that perhaps we double down on supporting that. One of the things that we've noticed is that people are saving more. And I think that may feel a little counterintuitive because I think there's an assumption, hey, everyone's lost their job and people are just trying to keep their head above water. And there are a lot of people who are doing that and supporting that and supporting those folks. But also there are people who are realizing, hey, I still have my job. You know, it's really important for me to save. And this is a moment where there's so much uncertainty. How can I put more money away? And so for us, we've been working to connect folks with more of our resources around helping people build savings. How do you set goals around that? How do you set alerts to remind you to save? How do you think about the roadblocks that may come in in your way? And so I think looking to see, you know, what are, are the ways that we can continue to support the work that we've always supported? but always listening and always keeping our minds open to what else is happening out there, that we have the tools where we can help empower people along the way. And one of the other ways that Capital One really looks to support the communities that we work in is the Impact Initiative, which is meant to advance socioeconomic mobility. It's really built on three pillars. Um, The first one, advocating for an inclusive society, building thriving communities, and the last one, creating financial tools that enrich lives. It's a $200 million five-year commitment that's meant to catalyze economic growth, really focusing on low to moderate income communities and working to close the gaps in equity and opportunity. It sounds like a little bit of the K economy that you hear people talk about also, right? Very much so, yes. And I think it's looking to support people in all of those situations. So making sure that we're giving folks the tools that they need to deal with what they're dealing with, but understanding there are a lot of different people in a lot of different situations and trying to support all of that as we go. So let's talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you use to support financial well-being. Can you just highlight a couple of them? Yeah, sure. And I'll speak specifically from a community standpoint. I'm on the community impact and investment team. I can talk about the work that we do um, and our strategies around supporting our community partners. And I would say, you know, one strategy is just supporting the groups that are doing amazing work out there. We know that nonprofits often have the best knowledge about 
the communities that they serve. And so we want to make sure that we're providing them support and that we are working closely with them. And so there are organizations that we know um, have great savings programs, have great programs for credit building, providing that funding to those organizations. But we certainly want to do more than just kind of writing a check. So we also work on really creating some programs and resources that can touch down directly with the organizations that we work with. So one example is a tool called Ready, Set, Bank that we created several years ago. And Ready, Set, Bank is really meant to help people become more comfortable with online banking. And it's a set of 44 micro-learning videos that help individuals learn not just the basics of banking, but also how to stay safe while they bank online, making them feel secure, but also what are the different pieces that you need to know to bank online? How do you deposit a check with your phone? And creating tools like that allows us to you know, deploy something widely to help people understand how banking online can be more convenient. It can help them set alerts so they can manage their funds better or understand where their funds are going, especially in a time of COVID where we want people to stay inside. And so instead of having to go to your bank branch to figure out, you know, what are you doing or how much money do I have? Being comfortable being online. And Ready Set Bank is, it's not branded. So it's not about Capital One. It's not about banking with Capital One. It's about education and information. And there's also a Spanish version called Listos Picavance, going beyond supporting groups, but taking it to that next level of saying, hey, if we have the tools and resources to create tools to help make sure that other folks have this information that can help them manage their money better, we want to make sure that we're creating those. So you can have a number of tools, but at the, at the end of the day, you're also talking about changing behavior which is not easy to do, not often easy. So where do you start? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Change in behavior is not difficult or else we would all, you know, <laughs> have all our wishes and dreams because it was super easy to, you know, have the behavior to get us there. I think providing people with the tools is important, but I think the first step is really helping people understand that there's a process that they can take to change behavior and there's certain steps and there's research and information that shows that, you know, there's certain ways that you, that you can do it that'll make you more likely to actually have a positive behavioral change. And especially right now, it's the beginning of the year. People are setting their, their New Year's resolutions. I want to lose weight. I want to be healthier. I want to read more, whatever it is. I want to get a new job, you know. How do you take the steps towards doing that? And so I think it's about setting goals, but setting specific goals. And so if you know you're trying to set a new habit, what does that habit look like? It's not just, I want to lose weight, but maybe I want to lose 50 pounds by April 1st and being really specific about it. And, you know, we use information like this where we understand that behavioral economics and human-centered design, we can learn about these things to help people understand what they have to do to make those changes. So we tell people to be specific. We tell people identify potential roadblocks because we know there will be roadblocks. If you're trying to save a certain amount of money, maybe you're trying to build your emergency savings, save $1,000. Think about all the different things that could potentially get in the way, all the different things that could make that difficult. You have an emergency, that means you have to use some of those savings that you're trying to build up. So you want to identify those potential roadblocks and you want to think about how you'll address them. So perhaps it's, okay, this thing may happen, but because I know it's going to happen, I have a way that I'm going to deal with it and I'm not going to get off track and I'm going to get right back on board. And it's realizing that that's okay. It's okay if you get off track. It's okay if roadblocks happen, but it's really coming up with that plan to, to make those changes. And, you know, habit is something that, that you want to do over and over again. And so it's, about not getting derailed by something that may make it difficult, 
And I think it is very easy for folks to give up. So it's like, I'm going to go to the gym. And then it's like, I missed a week. It's over. I know not as many people are going to the gym now uh, because we're staying inside. But whatever it is, it's creating that plan. And then it's also scheduling when you're going to do things. So if you say, I'm going to save this money, my paycheck comes every other week on this day, I'm going to set alert on my phone or I'll automatically going to send that money to my savings account. I'm going to touch it. I'm not going to think about it. And that's just going to keep happening. Or, you know, I'm going to specifically make this change and I'm going to have a reminder. I'm not going to forget about it a month from now because I've set myself up for success. So it takes a bunch of different steps, takes some work, but there are some proven pieces of how you can go about setting those goals, achieving those goals and changing behavior. You just have to utilize those tools in a way that works for you. I love the idea of having a plan and making sure that you set yourself up for success. I think that's great. One thing that I do think about is just the topic of finances. It's taboo in some communities. So how do you communicate the need to even have the conversation? And that's a hard one. I think generally we have to open up to the idea of it's okay to talk about finances. But I think it's also, you know, why why do people not want to talk about finances? Are they embarrassed about it? You know, do they think it's something that they're going to be judged about? They don't want other people to know their situation. And so sometimes, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. I think if it's in your family, and I think especially kids note that their parents don't talk about finances and they're like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand your financial situation. But I think it's opening up that door. And if you want to talk about it, start talking about it. Start sharing that information. Also make people feel like you don't necessarily have to feel embarrassed or ashamed if your financial situation isn't what you want it to be. People say financial literacy, but I tend to not like to use that term because it sounds like, well, you're financially illiterate and nobody wants to be called illiterate. So we talk about financial education or we talk about financial empowerment. We talk about it in different ways, realizing that there are various barriers in place to people achieving their financial well-being. And so I think sometimes it's acknowledging that But I think sometimes it has to start with the person who wants to talk about it. Sometimes you have to start talking about it yourself. So if you have a group of friends, you know, you may have to be the first person or to say, like, I'd really love to talk about finances. It's something that I haven't understood or I'm trying to understand, you know, more about what I should be doing. And I'd love to hear what you have to say and to get it to that place where it's not something to be ashamed about. But it is something where we can help each other by talking about this, by understanding what other folks are doing. There's so much misinformation about finances, about credit, about money. And, you know, oftentimes that happens because people aren't talking about it or they're not utilizing resources that are useful. They're just like, well, my uncle, you know, on my mom's side told me I should do X. And and it's like, no, 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 (laughs) like, let's talk about this. Let's find, you know, reputable sources and find places where we can really utilize that information to improve our situation. But I think it's about being open to it. And sometimes you're trying to open up the conversation. You have to be open first. That's a good point. You know, as we continue to live longer, Kim, tell us a little bit more about how do you work with senior citizens? I was having a conversation with a family member. And I also remember reading that folks who are born right now, they'll likely live to be 100. So you have to plan for a really long horizon at this point in time. So how are you working with senior citizens? Yeah, you're right. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's more and more time that you have to think about that and more and more that you think like, 
What is my life going to look like? I actually want to go back to one of the tools I talked about before, Ready, Set, Bank. You know, I mentioned that we have this tool to help people bank online, which we use it with a variety of populations, but it actually was created to work uh, first to work with senior citizens because there was that concern about leaving seniors behind as the world becomes more digital. And so I would say, you know, part of the work we do with senior citizens is trying to make sure that we're not forgetting about them, that as things become more online, more digital, and we look and say like, hey, this is a great way to manage your funds. Let's make sure that you feel comfortable using this and you feel comfortable being able to access your information online. Because I mean, it's not just senior citizens that everyone has concerns about security, right? Like it's something that, uh, you know, we, we're all worried about, but making sure that folks understand, you know, what they can do to keep them safe and what others are doing to keep them safe. But I think with respect to the longevity piece, I think it goes back to setting those behaviors and making sure that people are saving and putting money aside. Now, a lot of the work that my team does, we really focus on the building blocks of financial well-being. And so we want to make sure that folks have enough savings, that they have a good credit score, that they're managing their debt so that they can get to the next level where they're saving money for retirement or, you know, they're buying a home if that's what they want or a small business to help grow your wealth and your net worth. And so I think the way that we think about how we serve senior citizens, it's kind of the way that we serve all people, which is we want to help people. We want to help them on their path of socioeconomic mobility. How do they move from one point to the next so that they can feel comfortable, they can feel financially secure, so that if you are living to 100, you have those resources that you need, that you know, you aren't worried that you're going to run out of, of resources, that you're going to run out of money. What are you going to do? So I would say a lot of the work that I do is really about those building blocks in that core because, you know, you can't really invest if you don't have money saved. That's a very difficult situation. You know, we want to make sure that we set a great foundation and that we help you grow. So I would say a lot of it is the same as with anyone. Like, let's make sure that you're building your financial well-being and can take those next steps to get wherever it is that you want to go and whatever financial well-being means to you. Well, that makes sense. And, and again, planning, having the habits, doing it early are all key components and the recognition that we are going to live a long life. So start early. That's right. <laughs> and it is that encouragement. Start early. You know, some people feel like, oh, well, I can, you know, wait until I'm in my 30s. But, you know, the sooner you start and building those habits, that's really what's going to get you there. And it's going to help you get from one level to the next level to the next. If you're building those habits that help you make those changes and improve your situation. Kim, let's talk about some of the things you do outside of work. For example, we both are members of the Caliber Global Leadership Network. I know that we ended up being speakers at the Women of Color and Capital event. And I know that you're also on the executive committee of the Duke New York Women's Forum. So tell us a little bit, uh, you know, about some of the other leadership things that you do outside of work. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the Duke New York Women's Forum. That's an organization I've been part of for the past several years, which has been just such a great experience. I think folks who know Duke alums may know, like we are, we have a lot of school spirit. We are, you know, kind of die hard about our school and what we do. And we have a pretty amazing alumni system, alumni network, alumni programs. I, you mentioned women of color and capital. I do spend, you know, a bit of my time speaking about financial well-being in different venues for different organizations. And so I had done a talk with Duke Women DC on financial well-being. And then Duke has a women's forum every other year on campus 
So gave a similar presentation there. And because of some of that involvement, was invited to be on the executive committee for the Duke New York Women's Forum. And it's just a great opportunity to connect to my fellow alum, but also to create programming for other alumni women in the area. You know, a lot of it is about networking events, but there are also panels, there are speakers. A couple of years ago, I helped co-host an event that was geared towards Duke alums in New York who are women of color. And we had a discussion centered around Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And it was just an extraordinary experience to be able to meet with women who, you know, similar experiences and talk about, you know, how you relate to what our former first lady went through growing up as a Black woman, as a Black professional. So just opportunities like that to grow the network, to help give back to um, a community that I, I think has given so much to me being a Duke alum is awesome. And so, yeah, I think it's and so much tied between me, you know, public speaking and going and sharing that information, which I love to do, but being able to, um, you know, bring some of that information to others, something that I truly enjoy. No, that's great. And, you know, you mentioned Michelle Obama's book. I definitely believe that leaders are readers. And I was curious about if there are any specific books that you recommend or that you buy for people or that you're looking forward to reading. I mean, I know I keep a stack of my favorites. I always talk about, you know, who's in my top five. I've always been obsessed with Barbarians at the Gate. You know, it's one of those books that stays in my top five. So I'm just curious, what are some of the books that are on radar screen? Yeah, so definitely we'll share some of my favorites. So Expect to Win by Carla Harris, who is an executive at Morgan Stanley. This is the book that I wish someone gave me back in college and then gave it to me again in law school and then gave it to me again when I started my career. It's um, such an excellent book. I completely agree. That one and then the uh, follow up to that one. Yes, I think Strategize to Win is the follow-up. It was one of those things that I read and I was like, this is so valuable to professionals who are navigating their career. And so even though I wish someone had given it to me years ago, like I still refer back to it, how she talks about how people perceive you and how you can help to impact that perception and how that plays a role in, you know, in your development, your advancement. How she talks about sponsorship and the importance of having a sponsor. It's just pretty amazing. And it's something that I go back to time and time again. And yeah, suggest to people, recommend to people to say, I think it's one of those books that it's valuable to anybody, but especially if you're entering the professional world to understand what are the steps that you should be taking. You know, we spoke about habit before. There's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, I think is how you pronounce his last name. I just found that to be really fascinating. I think it is the thing that we are often trying to change our habits and it's, it's not easy. And so that book to me was just the way that he talked about how habits form and giving you steps on how to set good habits or how to change your habits. I think it's something that would be valuable to anybody. And then another one, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. He is a professor at Duke, but he is kind of one of the experts in behavioral economics. And I think a lot of when you're creating tools, programs, products for, for anyone, I think it's incredibly important to understand human behavior. I think a lot of times it's like, well, the rational person would do X, so we're going to create this. But to me, that's not the way you look at it. And I love the title you know, predictably irrational, because a lot of times the way that humans behave, you know, we would call it irrational, but let's better understand how humans work and then create programs and products and tools 
to meet them where they are. Let's not create something over here because we think this is where they should be. And then there's this gap and then they struggle to get there. And we're like, well, you know, that's not our fault. You should have been more rational. (laughs) You know, that's, you know, not going to help anyone. It's not going to move the needle for anyone. So understanding how humans work, how our brains work, and how do we take that into account when we're trying to help people. I think that's incredibly important. So those are books that I've read that I love and think are great. But a book that I'm reading now is on executive presence. I'm not in a place yet to uh, <laughs> to give my review because I'm still in, in the beginning of it. But I think you know, for professionals, as you think about how you're going to proceed with your career, how do people see you? And similar to Carla Harris and how she talks about how people perceive you, it's a lot of what is the perception? What are people thinking when you're in a meeting, when you're in the room? So I think those are things that are really valuable to think about and things that I probably would not be as focused on if I had not read these books and pointed out to me like, yeah, it's not just about who you think you are. It's about who other people think you are. Right. And what they're saying when you're not in the room. Absolutely. I completely agree. You know, one of the things I like to ask my guests to just get to know a little bit more about them, and you shared plenty, is what are you obsessed about right now? Is there anything, it could be personal, it could be professional, is there anything specific that you're obsessed about right now? So it's funny because I feel like over the past, (laughs) for much of 2020, I had different pockets of obsessions about different things because I was just at home. And so for a while, like I was obsessed with my plants and I was growing plants from avocados. And then for a while, I was obsessed with paint by number because I'm not an artist, but like you can create this great thing (laughs) because they tell you exactly what to do. A lot of them have been crafty, my obsessions. But I would say right now, my focus has really been, it's funny, we talked about goals. I'm like goal setting. Hmm. And I just, as, as much as I've read about it, as much as I know about it, really applying a lot of those specific rules around goal setting to my personal life. I think I've used those in work and other places, but just thinking about what do I want to accomplish? And I think especially given how crazy and stressful 2020 was, I know some people are like, why, why are you even setting goals? Like people set goals at the beginning of 2020 and, you know, the year decided it had other plans, right? But I think still thinking about what are the things that we can work on, even if, you know, we're not going back to the office right now, or we can't go on vacation. I think there's still that room and space to think about, you know, what do I want? And even if we're in the midst of a pandemic, I can still work towards those things, whatever that may be. So I spending a lot of my time right now, I would say setting goals for myself, setting goals for my team at work. (laughs) I'm very much kind of looking forward and trying to be optimistic about 2021 and thinking about what I can do and what I can get done and hoping that we are in a place where I can get those things done. I also think that there's something really special about writing them down and not just keeping those thoughts in your head. And even if you don't look at them often, but I I think you should, but even if you don't, like I find that I will go back and realize like, oh, wait, this is what I said I was going to do. And I ended up doing A, B, C, and D. There's something about writing them down that just changes how you approach things and also your perspective and how and, and how you move in the world. I agree 100%. I think, you know, you can have all the thoughts you want in your head and that's great. But I, I think that's right. I think writing them down gives them more weight. I think it adds to it and it forces you to put it on paper and to see it in writing and say, 
this is what I'm trying to do. And hopefully, you know, you're also adding specifics and you're also thinking about like, what's the timeline and when am I going to get this done? But I do think it, it makes a difference to, to put it down on paper and to see what is it that I'm trying to do and really think about how you're going to get there. So Kim, we are almost at the end of our time here together. Is there anything that I haven't touched on that you would like to cover or, or share with our audience? I think what I just like to leave folks with, pull in any information that you can, you know, if you're looking to, to change things or improve your life. I think a lot of times people don't know where to start. You know, they're looking to improve their finances. I think that focus on what can I learn and what can I, I bring into my life to help me better understand the next step. And so really working to educate yourself. But at the same time, we know that the world is crazy. Also to be easy with yourself, also to give yourself space. So I, I think it's, it's that balance of let's try to keep moving forward and do positive things and, you know, get the information you need to achieve your goals and make your dreams come true. But also, I think self-care has been such a big thing for us recently. And that reminder to, to take care of yourself and to take care of your family and those pieces within you and making sure that you're being easy with yourself. No, that's great. I'm, I'm all about self-care Sundays. Yeah, same, same. They're pretty amazing. So thank you for being on the show, Kim. I, I've enjoyed our conversation and just want to let you know that we very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been great. Join us for the next episode where our guest will be Precious Williams, CEO of Perfect Pitches by Precious. 